Hello, you're listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast. Whether you're at work, driving in your car, or getting your workout on, we hope and pray that what you hear today will fill your spirit. Come, join us as we walk through God's Word together. See, last week we heard both thoroughly and very convincingly and in a convicting manner Minister Charles Wright asked us that question, does Jesus know you? Not do you know Jesus, but does Jesus know you? And shared with us that we can be involved in a whole lot and be saying a whole lot and think that we're really passionate when really all we are are lawless people not doing the will of God. This week, I want to ask us the question, will you, did you or will you receive Jesus and will he receive you? This is a matter of his kingdom. And the way that you live and the way that you go through life will tell the tale. In this particular case, Jesus is telling a parable. I'm going to read to you one of the definitions of a parable. And so you to be able to understand its purpose because he uses it a lot. It was one in which was used at that time for people to understand things and especially what Christ was teaching. A parable is a teaching aid cast alongside the truth that's being taught. He's giving you a way to understand a truth that's being taught. This casts additional light by using an arresting or familiar analogy, something that will grab your attention. It's meant that. It's almost for shock value, not just for the sake of shock value, but to grab your attention so that you would understand the truth being taught. This analogy is often fictitious or metaphorical, but not always. I know sometimes we'll say it's none of them are ever true. No, that's not the case. Most times. It is a story that he has made up that there may not be actual characters, but the truth of the people that are being talked about and used are for us to understand. And so as is the case here with Jesus, let me read for us, and then we'll move into it. Verse 9, he said, he also, told this bar- he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. 
One of the things that we find here, our section is about two men who are going up to pray. In the verses before that, verses 1 through 8, we see a persistent woman, a widow, that was praying as well, and that Christ was using that to say the persistent heart that really seeks for justice. They will find true justice in me because I will be the one that will deliver you from your ultimate adversary. You may have adversaries in life, but your ultimate adversary and the one who wants to see the destruction of your very soul and sin in your life, I will come and rescue. But he asks, will the Son of Man find faith when he comes? In other words, will you trust him to be the one to rescue you? Will you trust that he is the one that can deliver and rescue you, or will you be looking somewhere else? And then he gets into this. The prayer theme is still going on, and he says, two men went up to pray, and I love that in that you did you had to go up to Jerusalem. It was elevated. But also keep in mind this going up is drawing closer to God. And so you think, and both men went up. And so in this story, we have several characters going on. We have the crowd that Jesus is speaking to, and we don't see a shift in the geographical location of the crowd in chapter 18, but we see a shift in who he is actually speaking to in the crowd. He kind of targets who he's talking to in the same crowd, but everyone hears. And so he begins to lean in as he wants people to understand who will be fit for the kingdom, who will be ready to enter in as Jesus was ushering in his kingdom. And as he leans, as he turns to this group, he says, the purpose of this is based on who is actually in the crowd. So we have the crowd, and we know in Luke, the crowd will typically be filled with a mixed batch. Those who are, you know, wanting to hear and see and know Christ, those who are just there to see what's going to happen next because he's the great miracle worker, those that might be, hey, I heard he was, I heard he was making up and giving out free food, and he was healing folks. I want to come and see what I can get. And then you had those that were there trying to trap him because they did not believe in them or felt like some of the Pharisees that he was messing up their gig. And so you had the crowd is what Luke talks about. And you know what? That crowd is just like our everyday crowd and even be in here. We are here for different reasons. And our hearts are at different places in perspective to who we believe Christ is. And Luke understands and God knows perfectly that whenever you have a crowd, you have a variety of positions and postures and hearts. And God knows how to speak to everyone with one message, although he may target some more than others in his message. 
And that's what he did here. So those are our participants, and I'm going to use those two targeted participants, a Pharisee and a tax collector in this story. And this parable is one of comparison and contrast because Jesus contrasts them throughout this account. And at the end of his contrasting, he gives you who is fit. And I want us to know that on the outside, we think one thing, but we know God doesn't look on the outside. We know God looks right through to our hearts. And although we may look the part, and although we may play the part, the reality will come out from the way we live. It is like that person who comes to play a game of pickup basketball with all the trappings of the part of a baller. Whatever those are, he's got the shoes, socks of the right length. He's got to come prepared. He may even or she may even have the physique of a baller. And the moment they touch the ball and start balling, you realize if they are really a baller or not. You begin to see if they are true or they were just playing a part. But for us, on the outside, many times we see folk and we think, surely they have it together. Surely they're the ones that God loves. Surely they're the ones following Christ. And God says, you need to look how I look. You need to see what I see. Because God is the one who determines fitness and readiness for his kingdom. So, I love the fact that he, he actually targets this parable. He targets it. <laughs> to, to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And I find the contrast and... Since they thought they were righteous, they trusted in themselves that their deeds, their life, their choices, they themselves were the determinant of their righteousness before God. And as a result, it's interesting, they had contempt for others. I find that interesting, but I find that true. Typically, when you see a person that has contempt for other people that they believe are those people, those sinners, those and those, and there's no compassion, you can pretty much believe that self-righteousness is setting in. When you are, or, or if you are becoming a person that talk about those people, with that disdain and with that contempt and without the compassion that Christ actually displayed in and throughout his ministry, it's probably a good indicator that you are running toward being unfit for the kingdom. So let's look at the, the things that the Scripture is actually saying here about these participants. Two of them, the Pharisee, and let's kind of lay him out. 
religious leader, well-respected, highly regarded, thought to be someone that had it right and was set with God. Someone that was revered and honored and had a level of influence and authority depending on where on the council they sat. And the council was the governing body of the Jewish community. They had influence. They had stature. And most likely, they had financial security as well because it came with that. The other participant is a tax collector. And we've many a times talked about them. They were also wealthy, but they were not highly regarded. They were not seen as religious. They were totally disrespected versus well-respected and even despised. Why? Because they were set up by the Roman government to tax however they chose their own people. And they were known to take more than what was needed, and the Roman government did not care. As long as the government got their cut, they weren't concerned with how much they cut from their people. And so they became despised and disliked, sellouts. And so those were the two. And it's interesting, both of them were coming up to pray. You, don't, you do associate prayer with a Pharisee. You don't associate prayer with a tax collector. And so what we're seeing here is this change of heart. We'll see later in that. What we're seeing here is this change of heart in one and this hardness of heart in the other. We have a tax collector who's coming up to pray. Why is he here? Because you're normally not the one to be seeking God, but, but he is the one that God is seeking. So two participants. And the next is the posture of these participants. They both went up. And I want us to see, they both stood apart. One stood far off, the other stood apart, but for different reasons. And this is going to help us to see where our hearts are. We start with this. He says, the Pharisee standing by himself, and the implication and the thought is he didn't want to be near anyone because he felt he was above everyone. How do I know? By what he said to God. And so his standing apart was he thought he was in a special realm. He was a special person, that he had special favor with God, and so he stood apart. He did not want to be with those other people. And we start off with him because I find him really interesting. He started off with something that looked like would be godly. Look at what he says. He says when he starts his prayer, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm going to stop right there. God, I thank you. Okay, he's starting off good. He's coming up to pray, and he is, he, is, he is recognizing God as God. 
and he starts off seemingly with this praise for the Father. But it takes a quick turn. It takes a fast turn. And before we throw him under the bus, I want us to examine our own hearts. Look at what he does, man. He says, God, I thank you. And then he sets himself apart. Five times in two verses, this dude refers to himself. Five times, we'll see it, and he refers to God once. He starts off referring to God, and that's the last time he talks about God. God, I thank, I, I thank you, God. God, I thank you. <laughs> I laughed when I said that. I, I thank you that I am not like other men. Dude, wow. He starts off thanking God for how great he is. He starts off thanking God for how different from the rest he is. He starts off thanking God <clears throat> about, about how above and apart from the rest he is. And somehow, he actually thought God should be impressed with him. I mean, and he goes in. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even, that's funny, this dude. I'm like, you don't even know this guy. You don't know where his heart is. You see him. You know he's a tax collector. But come on, don't we do it? God, I'm glad I ain't like him. Because you know his heart, right? Because you know where he's coming from, right? No, you don't. That Pharisee represents so many of us at times when we look at folk and what we see on the outside causes us to one, size them up, compare ourselves to them, and say I'm better. Why? Because of, and we're going to see it, what I do. Boy, am I fit. Jesus tells this, and remember, his purpose is there were some in the crowd that trusted in themselves to be righteous. So this was hitting that self-righteous person, and they were probably sitting there either high in conviction or seething mad. Who does this dude think he is? Who are we talking to? Because y'all know us. When that message hits home, we'll either deflect or we'll reflect on what's being said. Nah, that ain't for me. You know, boy, I wish, I wish so-and-so was here today. Man, they need to hear this. Man, I wish I had invited her to church. As opposed to saying, wow, Lord, where am I with this? How am I like this? What in my life are you speaking to? Because I know you started to say this, that there are some in the crowd. And am I part of the some? Because we usually like to think, he ain't talking to me. I'm good. Wow, you sound a lot like that guy. And so he says, God, I'm glad I'm not like. And then he names these sinners. And here's what we do. We like the name the sin 
typically that we're not involved in. See, they bad. But I'm not going to talk about what I do. See, he assumed there wasn't anything that God had against him. That was his assumption. Because when you come up before God and says, I thank you that I'm not like other men, my response is, oh, so I guess Jesus doesn't need to die for you because you're straight. I'm looking at this and I go, where do I do this? God, I'm not like him because those sins are horrible. But what about my sin? Well, we ain't going to talk about that. It ain't as bad. That, that, it doesn't rise to the level of the sin that you're involved in. Last I checked, sin is sin. It keeps us from God. It misses the mark. It doesn't honor God. I know we like to classify sin. We do in our world, and especially in our society, we like to classify sin. My sin is not as bad as yours. Or, like that, like that old song the kids would sing, you know, my dog's better than your dog. Remember that, right? My dog's better than yours. I know. Some of y'all don't. You don't have to. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, you do. I know you do. Some of us are like, my sin's better than your sins. My sin's better than yours. Nah, it's sin. And if we don't see it as it, ours is worse. See, he was labeling all these people that he's not like when what he wasn't realizing, not only was he like them, he was worse because he couldn't see it. He was blind. I'm going to tell you something. We see this parable actually played out. We see it played out. In reality, in the following stories in chapter 18. See, we get a parable about a Pharisee who's full of himself, self-righteous, thinking he's got it together, and then we see a rich ruler, an actual guy that comes up to Je Jesus. knew what he was doing. He knew that dude was there, and he had a chance to see himself in the parable, but he didn't. Because the crowd doesn't change. We get no shift in Jesus' geography in chapter 18. He's still with the same group. We need to be careful that we don't sit, set up stratas of sin that God is appalled with, and we put ours in the, oh, yours is a respectable sin. We need to be careful of sizing people up because what I do is not as bad as what they do. Man. And so he comes back. He says, not only am I not like other men or even this guy, in essence, who, in, in essence, who shouldn't even be here, like this tax collector. And I wonder if he heard him, because we'll see with him, he's, a really, he's already feeling his sin. And then you got this dude saying, I ain't like you. 
Then he goes in. Man, he wasn't done. I was like, the boldness before God. You brought God into your praise party of yourself. And he brings him in and he says, in essence, and another thing. Verse 12, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Boy, does that sound like something? Look, y'all better be careful. I give quite a bit of money to this church. Look, y'all need, need to put some respect on me. I'm a person that fasts a lot. I talk to God all the time. Look, I come to church. You, every time the doors open, you see me. See, you get this picture that he believes that he should be able to stand before God boldly and righteous because of what he has done. And don't throw him under the bus. We're like to do. We get mad at God for not giving us what we want or not doing something, and we throw our resume before the Lord. God, haven't I been? Didn't I? Wasn't I? God, I don't understand this. I thought if I was all this that you would help me. Wow, you throw in your resume before the Lord. See, Job, in his weariness of the length of time of his trial, started doing that. And God had to correct him. God lovingly corrected him. But you know what? He never answered or addressed him, Job, throwing out his resume. What God did when he did that was just show Job who he was. And when Job saw all that God was revealing of himself, and that wasn't all of who God is either, Job was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm sorry, Lord. Mm. I spoke way too soon. Job had a change of heart. He said, I spoke of things too marvelous, too, too, way too big for me. I was out of my pay grade when I spoke, God. I was trying to compare you to me, and I can't. And that's what he's doing. Be careful when you think you are fit for the kingdom because of what you have done or what you currently do. Shift. It went from the guy who thought he was set, and so did everyone else, thought he was set, to the guy that came up and was like, God, I just need you. Look at this next one. Before I do, I made this note, and I have to say that, because it, at the end, it applies. This guy did not know his place before God. The first guy. The Pharisee did not know his place before God. He didn't understand it. He thought he could brag and boast before God. Second guy, but the tax collector. It says, but the tax collector. And that but is a total shift and change about face. You just met a guy who thought God should be happy with his presence. And now he says, but you meet a guy standing far off, both of them, and the language is critical. Paul says that the other one was standing apart. He didn't want to be with the crowd because he didn't think the crowd was like him. Here comes one standing afar off because he felt distant because of his sin. I'm not near. I'm standing back, God, because I'm not worthy. To brag, to tell you all, and his 
he speaks one sentence. This dude had a paragraph, had a, had a short story. This guy had a speech for God about how God should be happy. And look at what this guy says, verse 13, but the tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He refers to God first. And when he refers to himself, he is asking God for what he doesn't deserve. See, that first guy is telling God why he's so good and what he deserves. And the second guy is saying, he said he wouldn't even look up to heaven. He says, Lord, I am so sinful. Tax collector, he understood his sin. He understood where his life was. But he realized that the one who could change all of this is the one who I'm talking to. But he comes with saying, God, please. And then some people say, well, where was the repentance? The beating of the breast was this sign of just great both shame and repentance. He was just like, man, God, I need you. He says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He says, you're right, this dude, he pointed at me. He was right. I am. Was, why, was I any of what he said? Probably. But he recognized it. And see, Jesus now, he begins to give summary. Here, here's the deal. He realizes there is nothing good in me. There is nothing worthy of God looking at me. And there's nothing in me worthy of me standing before God bragging like, you ought to be glad I'm here, partner. What does he say? Be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus concludes on it. Wow. The outcome, third point, for the participants. We saw the, 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 those who are the, the participants, their posture, and now the outcome. The outcome is what most people on the outside don't think. The one who looked the part wasn't a baller. He just looked the part. That's all it was. He was playing a role, acting. That wasn't really him. And Jesus looks right through it, and, and he sees through all of us, and he says, and this is it's both exciting and scary. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, he's talking about the tax collector, went down to his house, back to his regular life, justified. He was the one before me that is now set free, forgiven, and fit for the kingdom. One line prayer, not a whole lot of words. God, he recognized who's supreme. Be merciful to me, the one who isn't supreme, a sinner. Look at what happens here. You remember where I said the first person did not know his place before God? Second person did. He knew his place before God. And then Jesus summarizes it with his closing verse. He summarizes it. The outcome is this man is justified, the other is not. But here's the scary part. The other man left thinking he was, and he wasn't. 
And he can go through the rest of his life thinking that he's justified before God. And he gets to the end of his life and realize he's not. Then we have a scenario like what Minister Wright preached last week. Jesus turns and says, do I know you? Why are you here? I don't know you. You worker of lawlessness? He's like, wait, hot, wait, ho- hold on. Didn't I do? And he goes over all of his resume. Whatever you did was lawless because you wouldn't come to me. Man, and so I look at this and I go, wow, Lord. He says to him, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. When you don't know your place before God, God will put you in your place. I don't know when that's going to be. But God says, when you don't humbly come before me, I will humble you. See, one is that humility is you willingly come putting yourself under the authority of God and responding to his will. Humility. You know your place before God. And Jesus makes it clear. This is not a suggestion. He is making a statement. Whoever exalts himself, you put yourself up. You think you are great based on your standards, based on how you classify sin, based on how you think you live your life in comparison with others. When you do that, I will have to humble you. And some people get humbled in some horrific ways. But then he says, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, God's not against exaltation. He's against self-exaltation. God says, I want to do the exalting because it is pure, it is just, and it is right. And so let me just real quick show you how this plays out. The next story that we read, and you can go home this afternoon and read it 15 through 17, What does he share about? People that understand how to fully depend on the ones who are responsible to take care of them and humbly accept who's before them, children. The disciples didn't think that children were worth occupying Jesus' time. One theologian actually thought because uh, Mr. Rich Homeboy was in the wings wanting to talk to Jesus. And come on, come on, come on, kids, beat it, beat it. Jesus ain't got time for you. Jesus was like, oh, bring them. Because these are the kind that are fit for the kingdom. Why are they fit for the kingdom? Because they have full dependence on me, trusting that I will take care of them. That's what children do. Your child, infant, because it said bring up infants, doesn't crawl up to the table for dinner going, so what you make? How much time? Hey, why didn't you have this ready? I'm not sure that I want to eat this. I'm not sure that you were thinking about me when you made this. No, kids receive. It's as we turn into adults that we turn. But kids receive. And so what we see here is he says, now, look at them. Then he goes to the rich ruler. Matthew calls him young. Luke calls him a ruler. We knew that he was wealthy, influential, and young, kind that 
anyone would like. He seemed moral. He says, I have, you know, um, um, what must I do? It's interesting that he says, good teacher. He doesn't call Jesus his master, but it's interesting. Jesus didn't want anything to do with his superficial titles. That's why he turns and says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So what, Jesus wouldn't call himself God? No, Jesus knew he was God in the flesh. That dude didn't. He called him good teacher, but at the end, when he said to him, you lack one thing, and he told him to sell everything he had and to come and follow me, he was like, yeah, you ain't that good. Because it said he walked away sad. Mm-mm. Good teacher just became crazy teacher because I wasn't about to follow what you were saying. And he left. And then in the story after, what do we get? See, so here he was like the Pharisee. He was blind and didn't even know it and left because it said he was rich. It wasn't that money was his issue. It was that his money had him. It was his idol. And then you get the story after that of the blind beggar. What is Jesus doing? Just like the man who came up, he knew he couldn't see. It was obvious, just like the man who came up and knew that he was a sinner. And what did he do? Son of David, which was a term, a prophetic term. He knew that he was the coming one. Have mercy on me. Same deal. One line. He does the same thing in the story, in his story that Jesus tells in the parable. Jesus knew he was going to meet him. And everyone saw it. And Luke is showing us it. You see it played out. He knew he was blind, called on the one who can make him see, and Jesus did. What do you want me to do for you? I'm blind, God. I can't see. Both physically and for us spiritually, God, I can't see the way to live life. I'm blind. And you are the only one that can help me to see clearly. And if you really want to stretch, you get chapter 19. I love it. You get the anti-rich young ruler. You get the story of Zacchaeus. Same rich dude mixed with a tax collector. And Jesus calls on him and it says he receives him joyfully. The rich ruler rejected him. Zacchaeus received him. I love that. Jesus is painting this picture and Luke is helping us see it. He says, look, fitness for the kingdom is knowing your sin before God and constantly realizing it ain't your performance, but his mercy on your life, forgiving your sin and enabling you to live for him. Because he tells the ruler, look at the end of his story, follow me. But he couldn't follow him because his wealth was in the way. God is not against riches, y'all. He's against it having you. And so what we see in this picture, am I fit for the kingdom? It all depends on what you see. How do you see yourself? God, I'm not that bad. I used to think when I first came to Christ, because I didn't have this dramatic, saved from drug addiction, sin, and and, and bondage to some awful habit in my life that everyone saw and knew that somehow my salvation wasn't strong enough. I thought that for years until I started to read and study the Scripture. I thought, I'm just as bad as what I just said. I'm not like the extortioners and the murderers, and no, you are. 
You are. You just didn't do that deed, but you're just like him. I'm just like him. And when I started to see that, I no longer saw that I needed some fantastic um, salvation story that I can tell the world and go, wow. What I could tell them is that I was a sinner on my way to hell without any hope. And Jesus chose to save me. That was it. And then here, we don't stop there. And then I live like it. Because the implication here for that tax collector, he didn't just come up, say a few words, go home and live like he was going to live every day. The picture you get of the tax collector coming up to pray, you see it lived out in Zacchaeus in chapter 19. What did he do? He changed his financial position by giving it away. And Jesus didn't ask him for a dime. He volunteered it when his heart was changed. And the way you live will demonstrate if God has your heart or not, if you are fit for the kingdom or not. So let me ask you, how do you know you're fit for the kingdom? Is it because you're reading through your resume before the Lord? Tell them all the great things that you do and have done, and they could be very good things. His was. Or are you, you know you're fit because you have been forgiven of your sin and you daily realize I need that grace and mercy to live for God because if you don't do it, I can't live it, God. And then you live out of that freedom. You don't want to go back to sin. Why? Because God rescued me. He saved me. So I'm going to live like it. Fitness for the kingdom comes because of what God did, not because of what you do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us fit. Those who have trusted you, your work on the cross, Father, that you and you alone, oh God, has saved us. You and you alone has changed us. You have rescued us. Like the persistent widow, Lord, you have freed us of our adversary. Like the tax collector, you have been gracious to us, a sinner. Like the children, you call us to come in humble trust and obedience. Like the blind beggar, Father, you respond when we call out to you to help us to see because we're blind. And like Zacchaeus, Lord, when you come to our house, we joyfully receive you. We thank you that you have done all that, not us. And I pray that we would allow you to change us daily. There are any here today, Father, I pray that they don't know you, that they would come to know who you are. Father, that they would recognize that you and you alone can rescue, can save, can change. And so, Father, I pray that you would work on our hearts where we have our greatest need and help us to see that you are the one that meets that need. In Christ's name, amen. Before. You've been listening to the Solid Word Bible Church podcast, and we trust that you've been blessed. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at solidword.org. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next week.